don't excite him. Don't make him excitable. Welcome back, Stanley. Thank you, Michael. It's true. Around this office in the past, I have been a little abrupt with people. Not maybe. Yes or no? No way. Uh-uh. Are you from another planet? Boy, have you lost your mind? Because I'll help you find it. Did I stutter? I'm done. Goodbye. But the doctor said, if I can't find a new way to relate more positively to my surroundings, I'm going to die. My goal is to make this office as peaceful a place for Stanley Hudson as I can. It is... A beautiful, sunny day as we walk through the meadow that is very spiritual and relaxing. And there are flowers, and it is sunny and beautiful. What is that? People, please, I told you to get rid of the cell phones. It's my biofeedback machine. Oh, okay. What is that? Like a video game? It alerts me when my stress level goes up so I can try to calm down. You have stress? <laughs> yes. During our relaxation exercise? Let me get you some water. No, no, I'll okay. help you. I'll help you. Here we go. Here oh, we go. Michael, Let would, me get would, you? You, would you step back, please? Okay. Please. All right. A little further. Okay. I'm going to die. <laughs> Well, we all have some people like that in our life, right, that drive us just a little bit crazy. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about our emotions uh, this morning. Well, welcome to The Jar. My name's Chris, and we are in the final uh, teaching of our series called Wired. And if you remember, we started out by saying at the very beginning that we are all wired as unique individuals, that you are special that you're one of a kind, and that uh, God loves you and he has great plans for your life. I mean, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much for you to stay that way. And so he desires that you and I would make changes in our life so that we would become more whole. But not just changes for change's sake, but to be changed so that we become more complete, more connected. Now, we talked about the fact that typically what we try to do is compartmentalize our life in uh, different uh, areas. We have our uh, family life and we have our work life and our emotional life and on and on and on. And we try in our own world to compartmentalize it, but that's not how God created you. He created you as a whole, complete person. He wants you to be whole in your financial life. He wants you to be whole in your physical life in your inner life, your spiritual life, in your uh, relational life. And today, what we're going to talk about is our emotional life. Now, I'm living in a very emotional home right now, okay? My wife, Jennifer, just gave birth to our daughter, Shiloh, four weeks ago. And it is a very emotional home. Jennifer, like this morning, sometimes will wake up probably due to being sleep-deprived, but she'll just start crying. And I don't even know what to do. She just starts crying for no reason, spontaneous kind of crying out of the way. And Jordan, uh, our oldest daughter, will see her mom crying sometimes. And so she'll start crying. And then sometimes uh, she'll just start crying because Daddy isn't there 
Or the baby starts crying and Jordan feels bad for the baby. So she starts crying with that. And then there's Shiloh, who just cries all the time. She wants to make sure that her mom and uh, uh, sister do not outdo her. So, you know, when she needs uh, fed, she cries. When she needs her diaper changed, she cries. When she has an itch, she cries, you know. I mean, she just cries a lot. And, you know, lately I've been thinking about, you know, what it's going to be like in our household 13 years from now when they're teenagers. And I've been crying a lot lately, okay? Well, the reality is these emotions are pretty tricky for us to deal with. And uh, they're tough, aren't they, for us to know how to handle them. Now, most of us who are guys, and I'm going to kind of talk about guy world just for a second, uh, most, of our guy, most of us who are guys are a little skittish about sharing or expressing our emotions. Other than emotions like anger or excitement, anything else, you know, we just don't express that much. Um, but to express emotions like, you know, fearful or tears or you're worried about something, as guys, we just typically downplay those because they're kind of a sign of weakness. Those emotions who, that tend to be a little bit more feminine, we just don't uh, focus on very much. I mean, women, if you ever really corner uh, a guy and you corner them, we just don't understand you, okay? And we don't understand your emotions, we don't understand that you would really rather be listened to or empathized with when we want to fix you. Okay? We, as guys, think we'll just fix them and life will be better. I mean, we as guys are emotionally challenged. Okay? We would be in that setting if it was in a school setting. There'd be a class. All the guys would go to that one, emotionally challenged, and all the women would be in healthy classes, okay? And we don't understand, we can't even faintly understand why you would go watch a movie called 27 Dresses, or The Women, or The Sisterhood of Traveling uh, Pants, you know? We just don't get that. We don't understand your emotional world. We don't understand how you could go to the mall or to Walmart, or to Kohl's, and you could spend hours shopping, and you're actually enjoying it, okay? And we don't understand how there always has to be a support group each time you guys go to the restroom, you know? You never see just one woman go to the restroom. They all go together to support. You ever see that with guys? No, you'd never see us doing that. I mean, well, we won't. The, the inner dialogue, I'll just, I'm a little sleep deprived. I'll let that go, okay? But we just don't understand it. I think for most of us as guys, we kind of distrust our emotions. Except for those emotions that help us to compete in something or to uh, get things done or to make things right or to fight for something or to just fix something. Now, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I was raised in a church, um, as they talked about Christianity and a model of Christianity, they talked about the fact that my life, my decisions, my understanding, my emotions connected to God was kind of like a little train. And I think we'll pull up the train here. 
Wow. Isn't that high tech? <laughs> and this was kind of the way Christianity 101 was taught to me. Now, the engine here, and you can fill this out in your blanks, uh, goes with facts. Facts. I mean, your decision to follow Jesus Christ was based on facts. The fact that God loves you, He wants a relationship with you, and the fact that His one and only Son, Jesus, died on a cross for all of your sins so that you could spend eternity with Him. And we know that Jesus was kind of this historical figure, not only in the Bible, but outside the Bible, and so there's a fact that we should follow. And that kind of guides the train. It's the engine of the train. The next thing that follows behind, kind of the coal car there, is um, faith. Your faith. Your conscious decision to believe in Jesus Christ with your life. That you give your life to Christ. And this, though, was based on the facts. You didn't have faith with an emotional response. You had it based on facts. And the facts drove your faith. Finally, there's the caboose at the end, and that's our feelings. Our feelings. And your feelings, in the model that I was taught growing up, they just kind of tag along. They are your emotions, but your emotions can't be trusted. You just don't trust your feelings. This is why uh, this model that was given to me said, don't trust your feelings. And I was told this over and over and over again. Because your feelings, right, go up and down. At least mine do. Your feelings go up and down. They change all the time. And so there aren't something that you can trust. And what happens if one morning you wake up and you don't feel the same way you felt when you first connected to God or when you got baptized? And you don't feel that way, and so you decide, I'll chuck it in. And so people uh, you know, that taught me when I was being raised said, don't trust your feelings. Don't let your feelings drive the train. Now, it's true in some light that your feelings shouldn't drive the train because your feelings uh, sometimes do uh, kind of mess you up. But if you're ever disconnected from God or you're ever disconnected from the faith for a per period of time, when you feel this disconnection... You don't want to just stay with your feelings because if you do, you'll stay disconnected forever. I mean, we all have moments when we're closer to God and when we're further away. When God feels like He's at the center of who we are and when He feels like He's not even, you know, on the chalkboard. And when those things happen, we can't trust our feelings in those moments. But even though our feelings change and they're up and down, it doesn't mean that our feelings are unimportant the way that I was kind of taught. Your feelings are very very important. I remember growing up, uh, I went to church at a, a church. Uh, I'll just describe it for you. It's good people, just a, a different kind of church. And there were three brass chandeliers that went right through the middle. And it was plush blue carpet. And everyone who walked in wore their Sunday best. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I wore my Sunday best today. And Pastor Isaac said, are we returning to the 80s? You know, and then someone else came up and said, hey, uh, Charlie Brown, how are you today? You know, I mean, you people are just filled with love for me today. I'll tell you. But everyone, you know, kind of wore their best. 
But no one ever expressed any emotions. Everyone just kind of walked around with their suits and ties and gold earrings. And a lot of these people were ex-GM retirees. And so they wanted to look good when they came. And they would walk around. And everyone just went like this. Hi, how you doing? Good. God bless you. How you doing? And everyone just smiled. And everyone was just nice. And we went to church, man. Like we went to church not just Sunday morning. You guys are getting it easy, okay? We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, then you came back for Bible study, and then on Thursday night, since I was a preacher's kid, I had to sing in the choir. That's why when we started the church, I said, I'm not singing anymore. And Isaac said, yeah, you're right, you're not. (laughs) But we just kind of had this linear, logical church. I call it the Church of Spock, you know? Star Trek is out, and it's all about what your mind kind of thinks. Everything was logical and linear. But folks, this is the problem with that model that I was raised in. And it's this, that feelings were ignored. That's the problem with this. Your feelings were ignored. Your emotions were ignored. And your emotions and your feelings are important. The truth is, they're very, very important. They're important for us to understand because you don't take your emotions and place them over here on a shelf somewhere, but your emotions are a part of your entire life. You don't compartmentalize your emotions, but they're a part of who you are. Your emotions are kind of like your dashboard on your uh, car. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You're driving, all of a sudden the light comes on, right? And maybe it's the check engine light. And when that light comes on on your dashboard, you go, wow. I better go get my car checked out a little bit. Other lights come on. Maybe it's the temperature light. And you know you can't go very far without putting some water or something to cool the engine down because it's getting too hot. Or the oil light comes on on your dashboard and you realize, wow, i got to get this taken care of. Well, the same thing goes with our emotions. When anger pops up, when depression creeps in, when there's a sense of grief that is choking the very life of you, there's something underneath the hood that you need to check out. You see, to check under the hood of our emotions means you go underneath the surface of where you're at. That's why when we see the light going off, there's something that's saying, I'm not functioning in a healthy way right now. There must be something that I need to check out. And if we don't, our emotions can ruin relationships. How many times have you ever walked in and you're hot and you're angry about something and wham, try to put that together for the next week, especially if you're married. Or what about your inner life or your physical life? Sometimes we get stressed out and we get uh, you know, very anxious because of our emotions. Now when our emotions surface, we need to look underneath the surface. Because the anger issue isn't the problem. You see, a person with anger, anger is not really the issue, but there's something underneath that is creating that anger. Just like when a light goes on your uh, car dashboard and it starts blinking, you're not like, oh man, I'm worried about the light. I better get the light fixed. No, you don't care about the light. You're cared about what's underneath the engine. What is that light telling me that I need to get fixed in my life? Now, the problem is, is that most of us who have cars that aren't brand new, when these lights go off every once in a while, 
We just take a post-it note and we just put it on there. You know, out of my mind, out of sight, out of mind. And sometimes we do that with our emotions. We take a piece of duct tape and we put it over and we just say, you know what? I know that needs some attention, but I'm not going to deal with it now. Well, recently I've been reading a book uh, called The Emotionally uh, Healthy Church. And that's what we're trying to create here at the JAR. An emotionally healthy church. And the whole premise of this book is that most churches spend a lot of their time, most of their time, teaching people about the Bible and prayer and serving. And we should do that. That's where most of our time should be spent. The only problem is, is that most churches are doing nothing when it comes to the emotional world. And what happens is, you people learn about God and the Bible and how to serve, and you do all of that, but emotionally sometimes, if we're not careful, churches cannot help people grow any further than infancy when it comes to their emotions. Or, worse yet, they graduate to be a teenager. Anyone know of adults who have emotions like a teenager? Yeah, I run away from those people, you know, because they're so volatile. They haven't learned how to deal with what's underneath the surface. But if we want to grow in a deeper relationship with Jesus, we have to be able to understand our emotions. There has to be emotional health that we know how to deal with. It's a key component to us maturing as a follower of Christ. So the author says this, once we become aware of what I'm doing and how I'm feeling and how that's affecting other people, then I need to begin to start asking myself some why questions in life. Some why questions in life. And the why questions help us to go beneath the surface. Now, the questions are in your program, but we'll uh, put them up on the board here real quick. Here's some of the questions the author talks about. First of all is, why is it that I'm always late for meetings? Next question, why am I avoiding a certain person? Why do I dread this meeting today at 2 p.m.? Why is it that I begin to panic when I think of meeting with Harry, who has not returned my phone calls all week? Why is it that I want to succeed so badly in my job Is it out of a need to prove my worth and my value? Or is it because I'm a good steward of my gifts and talents? You know, what's really underneath the surface? Or why do I avoid confronting difficult people? Is it because I'm trying to model humility and peacemaking? Or is it because I just don't want to be rejected? Or why am I so rigid about dropping everything to return uh, calls and emails? Is it because I'm a people pleaser, wanting to please people? Is it because I want everyone to think I am competent? And you could go on with question after question. Now, I guess the question I have for you is, what are the why questions in your life? What are those why questions that go beneath the surface of why you freak out or you get emotional about different things Is there something deeper there? I mean, just think for a moment. Maybe there are some emotions that you're dealing with today, especially if you have a family gathering, you know, like tomorrow, Memorial Day, and you have to deal with some family, difficult people, you know. Maybe you would say, why do I feel this way each time I'm at a a family gathering? Why do I get so emotional 
about this topic. And these are the questions that help us to look below the surface. Have you ever noticed that in the New Testament, every time that Jesus is asked a question, he returns it by asking a question to the person? You ever notice that when you read the Bible? You know how irritating that is? I've had, a, I've had a father like that my whole life. You ask him a question, he doesn't give you a response, he just asks you another question. Now when God, uh, when we're asking God questions, when we say, you know, where are you, God? What's going on in this aspect of my life? Where are you at? What's going on here? Most of the time, what we're trying to find out is information. What we want to know, why God is doing what's he, what he is doing. But when God asks us a question, when those why questions come up, when we're looking in the mirror, we're driving, or we're just thinking about ourselves, when those why questions come, God is not looking for information. God knows all things. He doesn't need to figure it out. But what He wants is for us to go a little bit deeper so we become more whole. That as we answer the why questions in life, we become a more healthy person. Because when we discover something about ourselves, when we have some self-discovery about who we are as individuals, there's an impetus for us to change. We desire to change. There's more capacity for us to want to change. For example, let's say that a few of you after church, uh, you come up here and you talk to me and you go, Chris, we just want to tell you, you're a jerk. I mean, man... You are a big jerk. You would say that to me and I might go, well, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend. Maybe they're mad they didn't get to go to the lakes like everybody else did. You know, church people get ticked off at me every once in a while. Whatever, I'd let it go. But if I woke up tomorrow morning and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm thinking about stuff and all of a sudden I go, dude, you're a jerk. You see, which one do you think is the ability for me to change more? Yeah, it's the one where I actually self-discover it for myself, that I want to change this area of my life. I don't want to be a jerk. And so there's an author by the name of Larry Crabb, a psychologist, who what he basically says is what most people see is just uh, above the surface. And he compares it to a picture of an iceberg. And I think we've got a picture here that will come up. And what he says is that most of your life is underneath the water. What people see is above, but what you deal with in your life, the part that is not shown, that is really most of your life. The biggest part of who you are is underneath the surface. Now, above the water, our lives uh, feel like things like this, like actions, and they'll come up, I think, our actions and our thoughts and our feelings. Those are the things that are above the water. But the things underneath the water, the biggest part of who we are, are things like our motives and our memories and our attitudes. And I'll never forget seeing this for the very first time, and I thought, man, how true is that? I mean, how many people do you share everything in your life, all your motives, all your memories, everything you've ever done? We just don't, but that's a big part. It's the biggest part of who we are. So when an emotion light starts blinking on our dashboard, it probably means that there's something below that we need to deal with. Things that 
God wants us to change, to be healed from, to be made new from. But the challenge is, will you go below the surface? You see, a lot of us spend our life always with our emotions, just thinking about what's above. But if we dig a little bit deeper, there's a risk in doing that. But the greatest risk is that you don't do it and you go through your life and you don't become more healthy and whole and complete. When those emotional lights go off, are we willing to be honest and vulnerable with God and with people around us? Eleven years ago, I was uh, kind of the young gun, one of the top pastors in the denomination that I grew up in. A denomination is just a group of churches. And uh, I had uh, the very first church that I went to. I was 22. And in a matter of five years, we doubled the size of the church. And at that point, I thought numbers was what it was all about. And so, uh, man, I was just on cloud nine. Everything was great. And uh, Jennifer, my wife, who's a physician, uh, had to come for some additional training for a residency. And we felt God call us here to Muncie. And I left everything uh, that had been known in my life, and we moved here. We bought a new house. Our uh, income doubled in size. uh, And I started going to school at Anderson School of Theology. And kind of like this picture of an iceberg, on the top of the surface, man, people would look at me and they'd think, man, this, this guy's got it together. I mean, his life couldn't be any better. But then all of a sudden I started school, and I'd been out of school for five years, and I really was struggling. I mean, big time struggling. I had to get rid of all of my classes except for two because I just couldn't handle it. I was overwhelmed. I was stressed out. And I began to start questioning God at that time. You know, God, am I smart enough to really do a master's program? I mean, I feel so inadequate. And stress became overwhelming and to a point where I was ready to chuck it all. Not just school, not just pastoral ministry, but life in general. I was ready to just let it go. You see, as a pastor, I was a high achiever. People knew me. People depended on me. And now I was a student and I was a failure. Failing classes, had to get rid of classes. I was at one of the lowest points of my life. And I call it my 40 days and 40 nights. I got really depressed all the time and uh, felt alone, felt like no one was there, and uh, just felt so discouraged. I had very little sleep during this time. I remember for a period of 20 days, I woke up every single morning with dry heaves over the toilet, desiring to get all of this out of me, but it just wouldn't go. Now, I remember one day coming home, and I remember sitting down on the couch, and uh, the home that we lived in, there was a, um, a big field behind us, and I started looking out there, and I just thought, man, I am all alone. I have no one around. And uh, I felt so disconnected from everyone. This wasn't home. This wasn't where I was achieving great success. This is where I was a failure at the bottom of the barrel. And uh, I'll never forget a night in which Jennifer came and she said, Chris, you need some help. You're really kind of, you know, clinically depressed. You need to go talk to somebody. And so the next day, 
I went and made a uh, phone call to the uh, counselor, uh, Christian counselor, and I just started dumping some of this emotional stuff that had just kind of bottled up inside of me. Instead of just stuffing it down deeper and trying to think, man, I'm a man, I'm a high achiever, I'll just kind of plug through this. I had to deal with some of my emotions that surfaced. I started realizing that my family system was not the healthiest one that uh, ever had experienced before. And I learned that my self-worth wasn't based on my performance. Just like today. Some of you might leave and you might say, man, that was a strikeout. To be honest, today, I won't really care as much. Because my, perf- my, my uh, self-worth is not based upon my performance. It's based upon God's love for me. And I began to realize that I had an addiction to please people. I would please people at all costs. And that my marriage was starting to suffer because of the fact that I would put people before my marriage. You see, here's the problem with the stoic approach. That you kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you go further. Is that as you stuff those emotions down, it doesn't do anything. And the reality is, folks... If you read this book, the Bible, what you'll find is, is that God said, don't be emotional stuffers, but share your life with me. Stuffing our emotions is nowhere in this book. It's just not there. I mean, God longs for us to cry out to him. He wants us to share our emotions, to be real, to be authentic, to say it like it is. You know, one of my favorite books uh, in this uh, Bible If you turned right in the middle of your Bible, uh, you would come to a section called Psalms. What I love about the Psalms so much is that the writers of the Psalms tell it like it is. They are just real and raw with their emotions. For example, in Psalm 10, the author writes this, O Lord, why do you stand so far away from me? Why do you hide when I need you the most? You know, where are you, God? I mean, things are are really bad right now. Where are you at? You're nowhere to be found. I feel so alone, so disconnected, and you're nowhere to be found. I mean, I just don't get it. And then when the psalmist is dealing with even a deeper issue, an emotional pain comes, he writes, My heart is in anguish. The terror of death overpowers me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me. The author's like, I am scared to death, God. I've hit a point in my life in which I don't know what to do. I don't have any answers, and you're not talking at all. I have no idea what to do. He says, I can't stop shaking. Oh, how I wish I had wings like a dove when I would fly away and rest. I would just get out of here if I could, God. How many of you have ever felt that way before? You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but yeah. And in fact, if you haven't felt that way, if you haven't had that discussion with God, I would question the depth of your relationship with God. Because that's just the way relationships are. And God is often creating why questions so that we don't just hang out at the surface level, but we dig deeper so we can become healthier people. I mean, God really does desire that you would stop just staying at the surface of the iceberg and you'd go deep to the places where he loves you most and he wants to work through the most. And then finally, we uh, kind of have this picture of God in flesh. 
Jesus comes to planet Earth. And he doesn't come as this big, testosterone-filled kind of guy who's ready to just kind of, you know, take the world on through power. But the picture of, of Jesus is one who is fully God, and he's fully divine, but he's also fully human with emotion. In fact, that's one of the things that I love about Jesus, is that as he came, he shared his emotions with us. And I'll never forget the very first time reading the Bible seriously in my early 20s, and that's the thing that struck out to me the most, was that this was a man who shared his emotions. I mean, Jesus wasn't just the nice stained glass Jesus who was in the uh, stained glass uh, window at the church that I went to. He wasn't the guy who was going around kissing babies all the time. Okay, He wasn't this nicety-nice kind of Jesus going around going, now you be nice, and you be nice, and you be nice, and you be nice, and let's just all be nice. You be nicey-nice, and I'll be nicey-nice, and we'll just all be nice people. Just nice. No, when you read about Jesus, he doesn't have this message of just be nicey-nice. He had a message of being radical, of being people who would love and care for folks. And that niceness would come out, but it would come out of a sense of truth. He was a person who was filled with emotions. There's a story one day in which Jesus is uh, in another town, and he gets word that his friend, one of his good friends, is very sick. His name's Lazarus. And by the time that Jesus actually got to this place, uh, to his home, Lazarus had already died. And the scripture tells us that Mary, Lazarus' sister, runs out to Jesus and falls on her knees and collapses in front of him. And the story reads this. Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet saying, Master, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. Whoa, you got to stop there. Something's going on here. Why is Jesus angry? Why is he mad? I mean, anger often pushes us to do things that can be good if it's in a godly way. The scripture doesn't tell us why he was angry, but we could make some assumptions of why we think so. One might be that Jesus had this holy anger, this holy kind of uh, righteous indignation, because when he looked at what was going on in this family... He's fully God. And so he looks and he goes, this isn't the way my father's world works. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is kind of twisted around and messed up. And and death shouldn't be ripping families apart. It shouldn't kind of tear the fabric of our lives. This just isn't right. This is not the way it is with my father's world. But as much as he had that experience, look at his his emotions that fluctuate just in the next verse. It says, Jesus said, where did you put him? Where's the tomb? Where's his grave? Master, come and see, they said. And now Jesus wept. Jesus cried. He showed his emotions. Now, there are other times in which Jesus shows his emotion in a partying way. He's, he's enjoying life. He's filled with fun and, and, and uh, he's excited about what's going on. One day he trained 72 people to go out on a mission trip. And he said, guys, you are going to do the same stuff that I'm doing. 
I'm going to have you go out and you're going to heal people and you're going to lay hands on people and people uh, who are discouraged will be encouraged and uh, you'll teach people and you'll deliver people uh, who have demons in their life and I'm just going to do some cool things. I'm going to give you all the power and authority to do it and you're going to do it. You can do it on your own. And these guys go off on this mission trip and they do everything that Jesus had done and they come back and their eyes are this big and they're so excited. They're like, Jesus, you should have seen what God did through us. It's awesome. And the Bible says this, at that, Jesus rejoiced, exuberant in the Holy Spirit. At that, Jesus kind of breaks out into this spontaneous prayer. And he's like, Father, you are so awesome. I mean, you could have picked anyone, the religious elite, those people who thought they had it all together. But you took some messed up people and you did some powerful things through them. Or what about the time that uh, Jesus gets blasted by the religious leaders? These guys who want everything nicey-nice, all together, follow the law, do the right thing, and everything will be good. And one day a guy comes up to him who has a handicap. He has a withered hand. He walks up to Jesus. And it's the Sabbath. It's the day in which you rest. The day in which you don't do any work whatsoever. And he walks up to Jesus. And as he does this, all the people are looking at Jesus. What is he going to do? The religious leader said, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. Don't work. Don't even think about it. You don't do anything. And Jesus is kind of puzzled by this because here's a guy who needs help. Why wouldn't you help someone? And the Bible says this, Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? He just kind of gives them a multiple choice quiz right there. A or B. Should you do good today or should you do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Uh Uh-oh. Every time religious leaders, you see that, they remain silent. Jesus is not going to be happy. What happens? Jesus then looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Or how about the time that Jesus goes into the temple and he walks into the temple, the church of his day, and he looks around and there are people, it's like a flea market. People are buying stuff and selling stuff and changing money back and forth and they're doing all this kind of thing. And Jesus walks in and he's shocked. And he's like, what is this all about? And the Bible says this. In the temple area, Jesus saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. And he saw money changers behind their counters. Uh Uh-oh. He's not going to be happy. Jesus made a whip. That was kind of his ability of going one. You know, when people get angry, they tell you to count to ten. Jesus is doing it. But he's making a whip. He chases them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the oxen, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, uh, turned over their tables. Then going to the people who sold the doves, he said, Get these things out of here. Don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. I love this guy. I mean, he's hot. He's fired up. Don't be messing around with my dad's house. I'll take you out. You see, the problem is is that some of us sometimes, I think, think there's the Old Testament God. You know, that's the mean God. That's the bad God. Okay? But then when we get to the New Testament and we get to Jesus, we have the nice God. 
You know, the peace-loving, Woodstock type of God who's just like, everybody be nice. Just, uh, let's all get along. But Jesus wasn't that way. He stood up every time anyone put something in the place from God's grace being able to flow in another person's life. He got ticked off about that. Anytime you wouldn't accept people or you tried to put God's grace on the sideline, Jesus got mad because he didn't want any barriers to come from God's acceptance and love into people's lives. He says, that'll tick me off. You do that, you try to prevent my love, my grace from going into somebody's life, I don't care how much they've messed up, but if you do that, that'll make me mad. Or here's the last story. What about the time he goes into Jerusalem, his final trip? He knows he's getting ready to die on a cross. And the Bible says this, But as they came closer to Jerusalem, which that word Jerusalem means the city of peace, Salam means peace, Jesus saw the city ahead and he began to cry. He says, I wish that even today you would find the way of peace. Jesus is there crying, sobbing like a child. Oh, the city of peace, but there is no peace there. And he concludes by saying, but it's too late and peace is hidden from you. I mean, this is a glimpse of Jesus' life in which it would be similar to a person going into an African village where they're being tormented by the disease of AIDS. And this person has the cure. And they say, no, we don't want it. Folks, is it wrong to feel sad? Is it wrong to get mad? Is it wrong to be depressed? To have grief? Of course not. But we need a safe place to do it. And that's why I found the only safe place, the safest place at least, that I know of is when you get in a community of people who are pursuing Jesus together. You get in a small group of folks who are trying to follow Jesus the best way they know how, and you live life together. A group of folks who allow you to be vulnerable, who you can share yourself, and they'll love you no matter what. They'll encourage you. They'll help you through the power of Jesus. A group of folks who you can just say, hey, you guys aren't who I think. You, You don't know me. I'm not who you think I am. You should see what's below the surface. And they say, you know what? We accept you. We love you no matter what. So I just want to ask you this morning, how are you doing emotionally? How are your emotions going? You were wired for emotions. They're very important to your life. But my question is, would you say that they are healthy and they're God-honoring and your emotions are doing that? Or would you say that, man, my emotions are spiraling out of control and it seems like it's affecting not just me, but everyone else around me? And if you're that person, or if you just want to get healthier with your emotions this summer, I want to give you uh, three kind of books that you could go out and buy on Amazon uh, anytime uh, this week. And uh, maybe this summer you'd say, you know what? The emotional world of my life, I want it to be whole. I want it to be complete. Now, one, Pastor Isaac already talked about the Bible. Starting tomorrow, you can go online and you can just start reading John. Maybe you've been sitting there and you've been thinking about it, but you haven't done it yet. So you could do that tomorrow. 
Another book that you could do is called How People Grow. It deals with the fact that uh, you can spiritually grow in some ways that you would not think possible. But how do people grow? Another book is called Changes That Heal. This focuses on changes in your life, that you can make some changes. You can set some boundaries. I mean, you probably have some difficult people in your life. And how do you set boundaries? How do you make sure that you know that you don't fall into their kind of personal issues, but you know how to stay connected to God? And this last book, Search for Freedom. If you're, this is a classic book. If you're a person who always seems to focus on your past, and there's some stuff in your past that you've never gotten over, I would just encourage you this summer to say, man, I'm going to read that book. Because I want to see myself being free from that. Now, I realize some of you aren't readers and you're going to say, I'm not going to read any of these. You're lost, but you're not going to do it. But every single one of us can do one thing. And it's this. That this summer, when we have our cookouts, which I talked about last week, one cookout that you would just go to if you're not in a small group already, and you would just kind of do life with some people. You don't have to stay with them forever, but you can connect with them in a cookout, eat some food, and see if that wouldn't do something that would open up doors to create a more healthy person uh, of yourself. Well, today's the last day of the Wired series, and what we've learned is that we were wired to love God, and we were wired to love other people, and that we're wired to be a part of a community and be connected in a community. We learn that we're wired to seek Jesus and that we can't seek Him by ourselves, but we need people around us and we can only seek Him if we share our needs, what's below the surface. So let me just ask you this morning, what on the dashboard is blinking right now in your life? Are you willing to allow Jesus to go beneath the surface? Will you allow Jesus to go to those hidden places, those places that no one else knows? And let me just say this. I don't preach very much. In fact, we don't do that. We don't want people to be scared as we preach. But since you're here on Memorial Day, I'm going to preach one last thing. And it's this. Don't you dare say to yourself, that I have gone too far away from God, I've messed up, flubbed up, screwed up too much in my life, there is stuff underneath the surface that I can't even deal with, and God doesn't want to work at that. I'm just too broken. Don't you dare say that. Because more than anything else, God wants to give you a breakthrough this summer. And through the Bible or through these books, God wants to take the messiness, the moldiness of your life and slowly put it together to where it finally starts to look more whole. Let's stand for closing prayer. (coughs) Compassionate and loving God, we thank you so much. You really are a God who desires intimate relationship with us. God, people came today uh, with different things going on on the emotional dashboard of their life. 
And I would just ask right now, through the power of your Spirit, that you would pour your love into their life. And as you do, God, would you help us that each time that we see a blinking light, that we would seek your help and your guidance. Help us to go beneath the surface and to be able, in a real way, to become healthier people by the end of August than we are today standing here. We ask that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we're at the Civic Theater, so make sure you're there. Uh, Know you're loved in this place. If you need prayer for anything, come on up.